Hey y'all, great news. The next wrestling fan officially has a Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and in the process get access to bonus content, physical rewards, more bonus content, and a whole bunch of other weird stuff Bob and I came up with, head over to patreon.com slash NXT wrestling fan to become a patron. Thank you so much and enjoy the episode. I'm Megan Bob and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, it's the episode of NXT that originally aired on August 21st, 2013. And that means it's Zayn versus Cesaro, two out of three falls. And that means we're fucking celebrating. And that means Chris Newton. Yeah. Yeah. Normally not called in for celebrations, but uh, <laughs> today I'm, I'm psyched. Yes. Chris Newton traditionally called in for funerals, but today... <laughs> Welcome to episode 14 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. So many feels. Last episode, we said goodbye to The Shield, but it was fine because there were plenty of other main roster stars for us to meet, and also Bob kind of hated The Shield anyway. Yeah. But fuck all that. None of that matters because this episode, we get to talk about the two out of three finals match between Sami Zayn and Antonio Cesaro. I'm so excited. And we get to do it with Chris Newton, as mentioned. Chris, welcome to the show. Oh, so good to have you. Thank you for having me. For this episode especially, I'm so happy to be here. This is like the first major milestone in this whole project, and I've been looking forward to this since we started. Yes. <laughs> I I don't understand, because I thought they were all, you know, they were all good dogs, so I'm like, wait. I mean, obviously this one was exceptional, but I don't know. I feel like I'm watching an adult thing happen, and I, I have little context. We'll, we'll talk about it more <laughs> later, Bob, but uh, okay. first, I want to ask Chris real quick as we tend to do for guests on this show. If you could tell us just a little bit about like your relationship with wrestling, because I'm not sure it's not something you usually talk about, like on your own program super often and your relationship with NXT in particular. Yeah, I have a um, a long and, and intermittent relationship with pro wrestling. I think my first pro wrestling memory is uh, Lex Luger slamming Yokozuna at the big mm. semi-wrestling pay-per-view where they did the thing where like, it's not really a wrestling show, but all these different people come up and try to body slam Yokozuna. And then finally, Lex Luger comes out at the end and is like, stars and stripes, Zumbas and like manages to slam him. And then America wins. That's my yeah. first memory. And that was like early childhood for me. But then it was like off and on through the years. You know, I watched during the Attitude Era. Like I was a big fan and like I learned people's real names and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But then I kind of fell away from it. I think that a lot of people did. And then some years ago, as part of like a role-playing project of some kind, I don't remember very well, I went back to watch a lot of pro wrestling. And as I watched a lot of matches, including a lot of the great matches from the time I'd been gone, I kind of got hooked back into it. And that would have been quite a while ago now, I guess, maybe 10 years or so, uh, 10, 15 okay. years. Ever since then, I've been watching it. And NXT was a big part of that because... When I started to get back into wrestling, uh, by that time, I had met my wife, Katrina. She saw me watching these matches and started to slowly get involved. And then when she saw Manami Toyota versus Aja Kong, she was I hooked. mean, yeah. Yeah. At that point, she was, she was into it. And so the first week-to-week wrestling that we watched together was NXT. Ever since getting back into wrestling, I have never on a weekly basis watched Raw, except for like the, <laughs> the, the rare occasion, like I might seek out one particular episode of Raw or SmackDown or whatever, but I would never follow the weekly WWE main roster product. Um, mm. But NXT, like during the time I watched it, it was really good. At this point, I'm um, real quick plug for crime. I am boycotting all WWE products and I watched this episode 100% illegally. Uh, so go <laughs> tell a friend, steal WWE product. NXT main roster doesn't matter. Please do steal it. Yeah. 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 That's, that, that's we endorse this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say it. You should absolutely not give them money and I'm kind of upset that I have to because of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, there's a real element of that. I mean, I I have uh, dealt with it by giving out my login to as many people as I can. There you go. Yeah, that's good. Do it. Well, thank you again uh, for coming on, Chris. And I am just, it's such a good time to have you on because we have one of the best matches in NXT history to talk about. 
in Bob's Breakdown. And uh, if you're a regular viewer, you know that's saying something, especially in recent years. So Chris is going to join us for that, as well as for the sight, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling and the cheap pop quiz. We will also be ringing the bell for a few more people who appeared on this episode, Ooh. but it'll still be a good time. I got to ask Chris one question, though. Who was the first wrestler who you got really into? Who was your your dude or your lady uh, or whatever? It would have been a dude because of the nature of wrestling at that time when I was when I was yeah. younger. Trying to think back, like I, I don't think I had like a guy when I was really young, and it was like I mean Lex Luger, right? Uh, America. Uh, even at that age, <laughs> even with that level of credulity, I did not buy Lex Luger. Um, <laughs> don't don't insult me, Miles. Um, sorry, sorry. My apologies. <laughs> you know, I think maybe I could say Mick Foley as, okay. as Mankind. It would have been him or it would have been Chris Jericho. It would have been one of the like more underdog, one of the promo guys. You know, I like The Rock and all that, but in like the Attitude Era... Mick Foley, like he seems like a real person who is somehow transported through a tornado to the world of wrestling, like especially in the Attitude Era, he's in stark contrast to all these like cardboard badass characters. And I love Mm. that about Mick Foley. I think he's probably the one. What about right now? Chris, is there anyone as we record this that you're super into at the moment? Uh, let me think for a second. There's lots of uh, different Sammy motherfucking Zane. Sammy Zane (laughs) is the man. He's the one. I mean, this is a great match anyway, but like. I just have this simpatico. Like I, once I accidentally cosplayed Sami Zayn, essentially. Like <laughs> I, I just wait. I I got I got a lot of questions about this accidentally part of that sentence. It happened. Like he came back from injury and he was doing this new thing where he was like wearing the like the blue Carhartt jacket or you know whatever. Right. Like, I was watching NXT at that time and he came back and I'm like, holy shit! Like. I have that t-shirt because I have a Sami Zayn t-shirt. I have that jacket. Like, I have that, like, I have that beard. This is me. (laughs) Oh, my God. All right. Well, we're going to do all that stuff I mentioned. But before any of that, it's time to get the answers to last episode's cheap pop quiz. Listeners, I just want you to know this about me, okay? You're going to think, oh, Bob does these questions and then immediately goes and watches the episode. Bob knows. No. No, Bob doesn't know. Bob immediately (laughs) forgets. And does not remember, and possibly remembers one out of the three questions, but not even the answers that were available, only what the question was, and then that's it. So, this is a surprise to me every time. All right, well, question number one. Next episode, the photobombing hippie who's been showing up backstage will finally wrestle a match. As such, we hear the ring announcer tell us where he's from. Where is that? Was it A, Eugene, Oregon, B, Boulder, Colorado, C, the Moonchild Commune, D, a local drum circle, or E, Parts Unknown? Bob, you went with E, Parts Unknown for this one, and as you now know, he is in fact from the Moonchild Commune. I love that the answers that you made up were milder than what NXT came up with. (laughs) That you're like, Boulder, that's a place where a dude would have dreads. It's yeah. like, yeah, it is. I've been to Eugene. I know who lives there. <laughs> <laughs> I felt very had by NXT on that one. <laughs> Question number two. Also next episode, Dolph Ziggler graces our screens for the first time. Going up against someone who was briefly in that battle royal back in episode two, but is now wrestling his first singles match in our coverage, I should mention, of NXT. Who is he? A, a Japanese sumo wrestler. B, a Bulgarian Muay Thai fighter. C, a Brooklyn street tough. D, a Mexican driving a lawnmower. Or E, the mayor of Slamtown. Bob, you went with uh, C, the Brooklyn street tough. And unfortunately, you were incorrect on that one as well, because... Alexander Rusev is a Bulgarian Muay Thai fighter. I even knew that Rusev was in this episode and I didn't fucking get that. (laughs) Did you really? Yeah. And I didn't. I only knew that Rusev's thing is that he's like ambiguously Eastern European. Is he actually Bulgarian? I believe he is. Yes. Oh, very cool. Nonetheless, did not figure that out. So there you go. And finally, question number three. Next episode, we will witness a two out of three falls match between Sami Zayn and Cesaro. Who wins and what's the score? (laughs) A, Cesaro two to nothing. B, Cesaro two to one. C, Zayn two to nothing. D, Zayn two to one. Or E, draw. Bob could not decide how this match was going to go. And so chose to punt on this one and chose draw. Which was incorrect. It didn't it didn't work out for me. (laughs) 
I regret it a little bit now, but... I, I want to know the fantasy booking here because, uh, you know, given that three is an odd number and I trust that you know that. <laughs> <laughs> how did you... En- I am an English major, Chris. Watch <laughs> out. I don't know. How did you envision this going down and, and resulting in a draw? I thought, okay, it could be one of them wins one, one of them wins the other, and then like a double disqualification or they mm. can't continue or um, Interesting, they yeah. wander off stage or... I don't know, like the stage is overrun by unicorns. Like I I had a lot of ways this could have gone. They did that shit with Cesaro and Sheamus during their uh, seven match series a couple of years ago in the main roster, which is actually how they ended up becoming a tag team. Cesaro and Sheamus had a seven match series and the seventh match ended in a no contest or a draw. I forget which I one. I want to see that. And I, uh, and then, so then they're like, hey, let's let's be a tag team. <laughs> I have an order of operations issue with whether one of the falls in a two out of three falls match can be a no contest, but we'll consult the wrestling rulebook off mic and maybe we can do an addendum. Yeah. yeah, we'll get you an update on that on the next episode, uh, listeners. <laughs> Anyway, so I believe this is the first time since the very first three question cheap pop quiz in which I have skunked Bob completely. Yep, I've been got. So no uh, points for you. No, I'll, I'll have to work harder. I'll have to study more. I don't know how I can study for the future, <laughs> but clearly I need to start break crystal ball, tea leaves, Ouija board. Well, you will have your chance to uh, use supernatural means to get off the schneid here at the end of the episode, Bob. But first, I believe it is time for your breakdown. I'm not going to start with the ding ding part, because first, before any of that, and I want to make clear that when it started, I screamed at the TV. Uh huh. We get a montage retrospective of the feud between Cesaro and Zayn. Yeah, we do. It felt a little like one of those stars who've passed, you know, montages that you get at the Oscars. But it was (laughs) nice because they were still alive. (laughs) But for the first two seconds of it, I thought they had replaced the starting music of NXT. And I just screamed, what? (laughs) At the television. Because I felt like the rug had been pulled out from under me. And then the regular music started. And I was like, oh, thank God. Okay. Which tells you something. I don't do well with change. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why I always am like, who are these new people? Ah." And then I love them. And then other new people come along. And I'm like, ah, get out of here. That's right. So match one. It's Bailey. And Bailey comes to the ring. And she got her little Triceratops pants. And then AJ Lee skips to the ring happily. And her boots look like those knee-high converse, and it's adorable. But Miles, is this the girl next door type you threw in as an option to the cheap pop quiz many, many weeks ago? Uh, she has been that. Oh, okay. We're, we're oh, going to talk she's... more about her a little bit later. At this point in her career, she's that, but nuts. She seemed like the girl next door, but at an emo concert. I definitely want to talk more about about that a little bit later on. All right, so this match is for the Divas Championship. And is Bailey hungry for it? No, dare I say that what Bailey is feeling is thirst. (laughs) I mean, it's a hug based thirst, but I don't think that if AJ said you, me, bathroom star right now, that Bailey would say no. I'm going to go on record as agreeing with you on that. (laughs) So Bailey looks like she's going to go for a hug and then sort of psychs herself out and does the aw shucks looked at the mat and then a handshake attempt. But neither offer is accepted by AJ Lee who makes the counter offer of introducing Bailey's head to the mat. So AJ Lee assumes control of the match immediately. And after two neck breakers and a bonk on the turnbuckle, AJ has Bailey in a neck hold telling Bailey that it's a neck hug, which I thought was very <laughs> rude. Do you like hugs, Bailey? I'm going to hug your neck now. <laughs> I know. And I was like, oh, you have to throw the hug thing back in her face. I mean, I get that, you know, she kind of did because it's part of her job, but also. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So Bailey struggles out only to be laid out again. And then AJ just twirls in the middle of the ring like a Disney princess singing her I want song. Now, may I pitch you both the AJ Lee, Leo Kruger tag team of Disney characters. Oh, my God. Uh, Yes. I'm trying to imagine like who they would be. So I get a little bit of a Mother Gothel feel from AJ Lee. Mm. Uh, Not as evil, but a little bit nuts. She's a good choice, like from uh, from Tangled. And then for Leo Kruger, Leo Kruger behaves like a Disney princess a lot of the time. In the matches that I've seen, a lot of like beautiful staring into the distance and then like touching of hair. Like not the way we have Disney princesses now. Now they're allowed to have agency and do things. But, you know, some of that early Disney princess stuff. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that with Kruger. 
because he is like he's dangerous. I almost feel like he's one of those uh, too much, almost like Ariel, where she's like too intense, like too interested. Ooh, like plus just... he's like a he's like a trophy hunter too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, guys, we nail it. <laughs> Leo Krieger is Ariel. <laughs> South African game hunter Ariel. <laughs> so AJ goes for a headbutt, but Bailey darts out of the way, leaving AJ going headfirst into the corner. And while she's dazed, Bailey succumbs to the siren song of sapphic tension and hugs AJ Lee. Like three times. Yeah, she drives <laughs> AJ Lee into the corner, then hugs her, drives her into the corner. I felt like a dog seeing a mirror. Like <laughs> I saw myself and I wasn't sure how to feel about it. <laughs> Miles, long ago on Smash Fiction, you compared me to Bailey, and I see I it because that is exactly my approach to all arguments on Smash Fiction. But nonetheless, like the dog part of me is like, is this stranger? No stranger, maybe stranger. <laughs> I believe that was a uh, cage match three back in the day. Oh. All right, so Bailey gets AJ Lee down and makes a slew of pin attempts, but none of them stick. An elbow off the ropes from Bailey has AJ Lee looking distraught, holding her mouth and wavering on her feet. Bailey looks so upset. She hurt her friend. She goes for a hug, and you can just hear her saying, I'm sorry, when she's kicked in the gut by AJ Lee, who follows it up with a kick to the head and pins Bailey to win the match. Yeah, it's actually a knee to the head, although sometimes oh, it, it doesn't knee? always look oh. that way. Yeah, it's a move called the Shining Wizard. Ah, I did hear somebody say that. And I was like, that yes. can't be words. <laughs> Here's the thing. Other than the Sammy Cesaro match later, my favorite thing about this episode was the fact that Bob gets to learn the name Shining Wizard for a wrestling move. Yeah. But yeah. it's even better that you didn't know it was a move when you heard it on commentary. <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure. You can finish your D&D game later. There's a match happening. Please stop. But also, Shining Wizard sounds so like a weird medieval sex thing. That is like, it's so funny. I love the Shining Wizard because like that name, the reason it's called that, its origins are so far back in wrestling history that most people have no idea. <laughs> really? Okay, I yeah. thought you were going to finish that off by saying like, it actually was a medieval sex thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it goes that far back, but I'm not going to rule it out. <laughs> so the match lesson there is you can fight or make friends, not both. Wah, yeah, wah. yeah. Bailey should be like fighting this person. And AJ Lee isn't really sympathetic in this match, but she's like, yeah. you kind of get it. You know, you're like, no, yeah. fighter, Bailey, what are you doing? Like, AJ knows what we're here for. I'm really curious about Bailey's arc here because if you look at Bailey's whole like body language, it's so expressive of her character, but it is definitely inhibiting her wrestling. Mm. You know, it's hard for her to put on like a good wrestling match with like, the way she's standing, what she's doing with her arms, but it's totally conveying who she is. So I feel like this is like baby chick Bailey and she's meant to grow up because otherwise like 10 years from now, we can't have Bailey at WrestleMania doing this thing with her hands. Yeah. And I think that's actually probably on purpose because Bailey did know how to wrestle. Mm -hmm. Like of all the, of all the people that came in to learn under um, Sarah Del Rey in this era in NXT women's wrestling, Bailey had a decent amount of experience was one of the more experienced ones in terms of her work on the Indies. Like she had competed on shimmer shows, like she had been doing her thing and we knew that she had skills that she's not not expressing here but she's playing the role of someone who just started yeah and who is still starstruck for sure and my thought was like surely they had to have known that this character has to grow out of this presentation because otherwise you're wasting yes. a really good wrestler yes yeah just and odd I to think about how you make that decision like what the algebra is of going all right, I'm going to hamstring my ability to put on a good show in the wrestling spectacle regard in service of the characterization. I mean, I think that when it was still developmental NXT, they were doing character work as much as they were doing wrestling work. So um, maybe they figured Bailey kind of already has the wrestling part of it down. Mm. Let's see if she can do a character. You know what I mean? Let's see if she can kind of how she pulls off a role and how she can grow and evolve a, a character over the course of time. Yeah, it's certainly borne out by how stilted her dialogue is in that very first yeah. appearance with her is. And stilted is not the kindest word, but I don't have a better word for how she would deliver those lines. Yeah. And especially because, you know, she's really good at wrestling, but she's not great at acting. Like, I could totally see this as being like, okay, we're going to do this with you because this is your developmental. You already know how to fucking counter a chin lock. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I also love AJ, you know, sort of not cheating, but like, 
immediately understanding how to manipulate Bailey and like <sighs> pretending to have an injury. Yeah. Like as soon what? as Bailey starts to over Oh, you didn't think she was pretending? I was hoping not. <laughs> yeah, she probably was. Yeah, it seemed like she was. Especially because those of us who knew Angelie at the time knew how manipulative her character is. Oh, so it really okay. fits in that regard. Well, that's how it goes. Hopefully you'll come away from this stronger and wiser, Bailey. So backstage, someone agrees to take a picture of Tyler Breeze for some unknown reason. I don't know why you would agree to take a picture of him. <laughs> So Dreadlock and Shorts Guy photobombs him, but Breeze doesn't know that until he sees the picture and then cries, they're ruining my entire life. <laughs> so good. And this is just some armchair psychology, but like cultivate some emotional resilience, my dude. <laughs> <laughs> she said to the net generation. <laughs> <laughs> to everybody. It's good for you. It's the vitamins of life. The person who took a picture of Tyler Breeze there is actually Alexa Bliss. <gasps> I thought will... this person might come into being a thing later. Yeah, we'll get to know her better as the time goes on. I believe this, this is for her first, like, real Aww. appearance on, on camera. And we've talked about this before, but I just wanted to throw it out again. Like, I just love the way he doesn't hit on her. Mm -hmm. it's not, that's true. He's not, he's not about anyone but himself. And I think that's one of the reasons that people were able to fall in love with the character despite it being such an annoying heel persona because it wasn't gross. You know, that's not worth nothing. Maybe especially for like the target audience, which I don't know that Breeze ever yeah. like quite hit the selfie generation imagined by NXT creative or whatever. But I do think that for the younger NXT audience, you don't want somebody out there being gross, hitting on people. It kind of ruins the heel act to have it be like yeah. real yeah. serious. At that point, it's not fun anymore, mm -hmm. you know. All right. Match two. Oh, no, it's two randos in the ring and then the lights go dark. <laughs> yep. So it's the Ascension and these two dudes are about to be drained of all their blood. <laughs> so Rick Victor and Connor O'Brien do their traditional pre-match roar. But this time, O'Brien throws in a little bit of a peck shimmy. <laughs> presumably because his honey Victor told him that it's hot when he does that. So yeah. this is canon as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Again, no arguments here. Yeah. So the bell goes and Connor O'Brien throws Zacky across his body and then crashes on his chest like an incubus. And the tag is made to Victor who chest slaps the guy and then tags in O'Brien. And together they cradle Zacky between them like they're about to offer him up to their dark vampiric father. But like a typical dark vampiric father, he didn't show up to their match tonight. Seriously. So they just drop him on the mat. And uh, then they tag in and out again so they can do some more goth heel stuff like screaming at one another. And then running to opposite sides of the ring and slingshotting so O'Brien can take out his feet and Victor can go for his head. And then Victor pins Zacky and it's all over. Apart from the feral post-match sex that I am sure Victor and O'Brien have in the very <laughs> nearest cemetery. <laughs> how, uh, how many episodes you give it, Bob, before they renamed themselves after their dad's names but spelled backward? <laughs> It depends on if they have the same dad, because if they have the same dad, I feel like they can never do that, because that'd be weird. Hopefully they don't have the same dad, because they're fucking, but, you know, I <laughs> yeah, guess whatever. Oh, well, God, that's a really weird question about vampires, then, is, like, <laughs> is that a taboo in vampire society, or is that just, like, I mean, you live in the same house, you're not blood-related, but you are blood-related. <laughs> you're, you're suggesting that if you're embraced by the same vampire, then that makes you, like, vampire kin, and therefore oh, maybe an yeah. incest taboo would i mean maybe i have no opinion on this despite having actually played an actual vampire who had another vampire as their actual sister and they did fuck um <laughs> nonetheless I, love you, I have no answers for you i don't have a real question for this i just have a plea i just want more ascension because it's so stupid and wonderful and i just want more am i gonna get more you are going to get more yes okay am i still gonna enjoy it or is it gonna overplay its welcome I think you are at the bottom of an upward curve in terms of your enjoyment of the Ascension. Oh, wow. So, yeah, oh, it's going to get better. I excited. think that's my prediction for how you're going to feel. <laughs> let, let me okay. add some suspense Yay. to this by saying that when I picked up NXT, it was like a little bit later than this in the timeline. I was not enjoying the Ascension when I started watching and I, they never mm -hmm. really grew on me. I don't know if they're better here, but like, I think maybe this is going to wear out its welcome. So, you know, we'll okay. see what your personal reaction is. Okay. I fucking love the Ascension. So. I think it depends on how <laughs> long they keep this interesting, like very intimate dynamic going on. If they drop that, I'm done with them. That's fair. 
They have to keep touching in this like, dude, bro, but no homo, but also very homo sort of yeah. way. Yeah, I noticed that Victor was kind of giving Connor like that vampiric back rub at the beginning of the match. <laughs> vampiric back rub? Yeah, they're, yes. they're like vampire Beverly brothers, if you're familiar with them. It is this weird like homoerotic, but yet if it's not escalating, then it's like, is there a problem in the relationship? Are they now just going through the motions? Right. Mm. It's a good question. I, I just enjoy the fact that instead of draining the blood from his body, he's just draining the stress from his shoulders. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, all right. So match three, it's Baron Corbin in the ring, which now that I know that he's a real person, it's <laughs> he is it's a real weird. person. So then the hippie commune music plays and CJ Parker comes out dancing like he is on a truly legendary quantity of LSD. <laughs> And the bell goes and he comes at Corbin waving his arms like, it's all good, man. And then Parker roughs Corbin up in the corner, dances back, and then gives a peace sign in case we forgot that he was a hippie for two seconds. Mm-hmm. Corbin battles back enough to get Parker in the corner, but Parker takes him down in the middle of the ring and then goes to the corner to flip his hair around for a bit. Meanwhile, the camera cuts back to Corbin, who I swear to God is looking down going, hey, man, did he dose me? Why are my hands so small? <laughs> so Parker does a flying knee to the chest and he gets him face first into the mat and pins Corbin for the win. And Parker starts grooving in the middle of the ring. And then it cuts to the audience going, what the sparkly fuck is happening here? <laughs> like, I was shocked that they cut to the audience and it was the audience like not reacting other than just with bafflement. <laughs> and I thought, what a weird cut to leave in. That they were like, just in case you thought that we NXT were like really <laughs> proud of this. Here's the audience to show that maybe we did make a mistake. Yeah, we'll You're prove like, otherwise right now. Uh, it was so weird. So speaking of sparkly fucks, out comes Tyler Breeze to confront Parker with evidence of his crimes. And Parker tells him to chill out. So Breeze calls him a joke and a Lenny Kravitz wannabe. And Parker does a fake out punch. Breeze rolls out of the ring to avoid any blows to the face that would ruin how seriously good looking he is. And then asks Parker to please, please stay out of my pictures. Yeah, very politely, eventually. <laughs> yeah. Is this the start of a feud? I don't remember. <laughs> I just like, is this a I feud? I know they wrestle in the near bombing? future. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure this is. This is at least like a mini feud where it's like, yeah, they're going to wrestle soon because fucking Parker photobombed Breeze. Yes. Okay. Well, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Before the match, the announcer told us that we were going to meet the, quote, new and improved C.J. Parker. What the hell was he before if this <laughs> represents a substantial improvement? I'm pretty sure he was just a jobber. I have a vague memory of, like, really early, like, episode one NXT after it stopped being NXT Redemption and started being an actual wrestling show. I think C.J. Parker was one half of a jobber tag team. And the other half of the team was a dude named Mike Dalton, who would go on to become Tyler Breeze. I think that's true. When they talk about like the new and improved, I don't think he was anything as far as like, oh, character wise. Okay. I think he was just a fucking dude. <sighs> NXT, you stand upon a house of lies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So match four, Rusev enters to classical music, holding a plank of wood with his name crudely scrawled into it and wearing a leather apron. Okay. <laughs> I just didn't know what to make of that. It was baffling in every regard. He has a Muay Thai background and sumo background, and then he breaks his homemade nameplate. <laughs> That's right. Bold. It felt like performance art. I'll put it that way. That's what it felt like. It did not feel like the start of a wrestling match. It felt like this is so that way you know what it's like whenever I stub my toe back back in third grade. Yeah. Like, this represents my pain. <laughs> yeah, and I felt it. I didn't understand it, but I felt it. So now Dolph Ziggler comes out and that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that is such the perfect encapsulation of Dolph Ziggler as a wrestler. <laughs> the silver lining. Hashtag butt watch. His underoos do say over it dot 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 on them. They do. And so that's. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. That was better than fine. It was like two percentage points better than fine. It's like everything else about Dolph Ziggler. It was meh. 
Yeah. So he's wearing bright colors and he has bleached spaghetti hair and uh, he's a time traveler from 1993 and he needs to go back there. But uh, I'm in the minority because the crowd is chanting. That was awesome. Before the match even starts because <laughs> yeah, they're cheap. This is kind of, he was pretty big. I think he had just turned face like on the main roster. I'm pretty sure uh, he'd been heel for a while and he had just turned baby face. I can never believe him as a face. <laughs> I mean, neither can many people, but <laughs> there was a moment. Dol- oh, we'll get into this later, but there was a moment for Dolph Ziggler, like end of 2014, when I thought he was going to be the biggest baby face on the planet. And they like fucked it up because, of course, okay. they did. Part of me is like delighted that they did. But I have to say, Bob, like the listeners can't see your face, but I can see your face as you're talking. And what you look like as you're talking about Dolph Ziggler is like if a, like a six year old child is forced by their parents to eat something that they said they didn't like, but then they do like it, but they're bitter and they don't admit they liked it. That's what you look like when you talk about <laughs> Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> it's like, he was OK. He was fine. Oh, no. Do I secretly like Dolph Ziggler? Oh, oh God. no. <laughs> Rusev shoves Ziggler up against the ropes, but he bounces back and then he wriggles his ass. I hate it. Okay. I saw it this time. I appreciate that he's like such a sack of shit. Like, I appreciate that he's committed to that. Okay. So, what I also don't hate is that Ziggler does this super high drop kick. It just looks like Ziggler doesn't give a single shit about gravity and just levitates into a drop kick to Rusev's face. Yeah, he's crazy athletic. Yeah. And then he throws himself at Rusev in a crossbody. But Rusev, listeners, is a 300 pound Bulgarian chonk. So <laughs> he catches Ziggler in midair and knees him repeatedly before dumping him over the top rope. But once Ziggler is back in the ring, he gets a serious body check and then a spine crunching bear hug. But he drops down to his butt, so the top of his head gets Rusev's jaw. And that's enough to start getting Ziggler moving again, and he follows it up with another kick. But Rusev gets him with a spinning kick that is so good, and is not a move I thought I would see this man do. It surprised me. I was pleased, though. Mm. Rusev is great. Also, he's fighting barefoot, which is adorable. Yeah. Not the last NXT wrestler to do that. Is that, I mean, I want to say allowed. I guess it's allowed, but is that yeah, like sure. advisable? No, no, it's not advisable <laughs> at all. And very few people do it. All right. So Dolph Ziggler's just laying there, but Rusev isn't ready to pin him. He jumps from the top rope to pancake Ziggler, but Ziggler moves out of the way, which I was pissed off by, leaving Rusev to pancake himself. But Ziggler finishes him off by coming at Rusev from behind to drive the back of his head into the mat. It's a pin and that's all over. Okay, was Ziggler here specifically to help put Rusev over as a new guy? I thought it made Rusev look pretty good. Do you think it made Rusev look credible? I'd say so. I'm really curious about your take on this, Bob, because I feel like this was, um, I don't want to say exactly tropey, but it was very recognizable in terms of like the language of wrestling. To me, did you find this to be an effective match? I think I kept paying attention to Dolph Ziggler because I was like, get out of here. I did think it made a good job of making Rusev look like a struggle to get through. And like somebody that you couldn't just shrug off, but also somebody who could do things that would surprise you that you weren't expecting. And I thought that was really cool because he has such a distinctive physical body type that you go, okay, I know what to expect. Like this guy is just going to be brawly. And then he does some shit that you're like, whoa, I would not have thought a brawler would do that. I um, read something about um, Andre the Giant not long ago where they were talking about him being sort of coached to limit his athleticism in his early career because that's also a performance thing. There's the body type. But then if you look at what Rusev's actually capable of, if he came out with the kind of obvious overt speed and agility that he obviously has, you wouldn't be surprised. But it's his performance that makes him seem like more grounded and more solid and so that you're surprised when he's capable of something. I thought it was great that like he got the crowd to gasp when he went to the top rope. And like a lesser wrestler with the same body goes up to that second rope halfway through the match or whatever. And it's like, who cares? Yeah. Samoa Joe very similar Mm -hmm. as well. I think this is the first time I've gotten to see a wrestler introduced in a while that was introduced in a sort of credible way or like with any amount of effort into putting them over as opposed to that just them meeting with a jobber, I think. It's definitely a different way of debuting him because he didn't get a lot of fanfare. He didn't get like the Leo Kruger video packages and he didn't get a squash match. He got put in there against the main roster guy. So it's kind of like the first Sami Zayn match. But yeah. in Sami Zayn's case, the main roster guy was kind of a nobody. No offense to Kurt Hawkins. Yeah. And, d- uh, how dare you? Yeah. And and so, you know, whereas in this case, Ziggler in, in mid 2013 was kind of a big deal. Oh, I have one other note here that I wrote down. 
I miss Cashisona. <laughs> <laughs> I miss my blonde surfer idiot. <laughs> well, hopefully he gets his ass in the gym and you can see him again. <laughs> come back, Cassius. Come back. I don't know why I put that note there. Oh, you know what? It's because Dolph Ziggler's blonde and I kept thinking about Cassius Owner the whole time. <laughs> Take that, Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> yeah, Bob's thinking about somebody else during your match, Dolph. Yeah. So now, oh shit, it's the main event. It is the two out of three falls match. I tried to like keep this somewhat tidy, but God, a lot of really great shit happens in this one. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> It's maybe the single best match I've seen, and I've seen maybe 100 matches by now, not just through NXT, but maybe total, I think. Yeah, sounds about right. So I don't have like a wide basis for comparison, but I wanted to say it felt real, it felt urgent, it felt fresh, and it felt grounded. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 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 Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for the hmm of thoughtful dignity. (laughs) Zane doesn't wait for Cesaro to enter the ring. He just leaps out at him, taking him down before throwing Cesaro in the ring. And as soon as the bell goes, Zane runs at Cesaro with a huge kick to the face and gets him down for a pin with the same roll up as their first ever match, if I'm not mistaken. It is coming off a big move, so it's not sneaking in, but it is a roll up as opposed to a cover, which I think has significance. Like it's not just hooking a leg. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great callback. So the first fall goes to Sami Zayn and he's energized by the wind and dumps Cesaro to the outside and then follows throwing him into the steps and Zayn drives Cesaro's head into the apron. After a few more hits, he rolls Cesaro back into the ring, but Cesaro rolls all the way to the other side. And when Zayn comes after him, Cesaro shoulders him in the gut. So Zayn pushes Cesaro into the corner and gets on the second rope for leverage while beating Cesaro. But like, needless to say, that's what you'd do if your enemy wasn't strong like Ox. So (laughs) what Cesaro does, he just grabs Zayn's sides and just strolls to the middle of the ring and then just throws Zayn over his shoulder like so much salt. So Zayn scrambles trying to get him down and then runs to the top rope for a big crossbody to wipe out Cesaro. And he gets him down, but Cesaro comes back and throws Zayn face first into the turnbuckle. And Cesaro gets him in a hold around the neck and then a powerbomb that makes Zayn's whole back turn like that crab leg pink that Sami Zayn turns after a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So Cesaro does a cover, but Zayn kicks out. So Cesaro stomps both of his feet down on Zayn's chest at the same time. And then Cesaro cycles between throwing Zayn, punching him, and then throwing him again. And Cesaro bridges into a cover, but Zayn kicks out as we head to commercial. And then back from commercial, Zayn leaps at Cesaro, who just catches him. <laughs> Cesaro whips him at the ropes, catches Zayn on the rebound, and then Zayn leaps up from being caught to do a drop kick like something from Street Fighter. It looked like a thing Chun-Li could do where you sort of like jump in midair and then from the position of having been up in the air jumping, you jump yet again. Mm. (laughs) Cesaro catches Zane by the neck and swings him around in that hold for a turn before really settling into the chokehold. And it lingers and then Zane gets more and more red. And then he just weakly taps out and the ref has to bodily pull Cesaro off of him. This is the first tap out that I have ever seen that looked serious. Yeah. I wanted to ask, are tap outs more common when there's actual bodily harm possible, feigned or real bodily harm, like in hardcore matches or stuff like that? The chokehold that Cesaro gets on Zayn is a pretty basic wrestling move. Like you usually see it in most matches. It's kind of like a a transitional move or what you might call a rest hold. You know, we're going to do this thing for a while, buddy, where I choke you and and neither of us have to move a lot so we can just like catch our breath. But it'll look like I'm I'm trying to choke you and then you can come back from that. You know what I mean? But Cesaro really like it looks super vicious and combined with the fact that he swings him around with him in the hold made it look really painful. And I think to go to like the idea of um, potential for injury within the fiction, Mm -hmm. I do think that there's a different story being told here because you're right, like in a conventional, like a tap out finish to a conventional match, it's like, oh, this hurts so much. Can he hold on? No, he can't. He taps. This is more like it's not that it hurts Sammy so much that he taps because that's not really Sammy Zane's thing. Typically, it's more Mm -hmm. that this is the second of three falls and Cesaro is the kind of guy who will absolutely fucking kill you. Like at the end of a feud, he'll do it. So 
Number one, Sammy could really get hurt if he doesn't tap out, like seriously hurt. Mm -hmm. And number two, he can't possibly win the third fall if he holds on to the bitter end. And even then he holds out too long because he starts the third fall getting his ass kicked because the referee has to like help him to his feet. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. You guys are totally giving me a new angle on it because I like my brain was with Sammy Zane going like, no, like there's got to be a way out. There's got to be a way out. Mm -hmm. Hold on. But yeah, what you guys are saying makes total sense that if he had given up sooner in that, he could have come back for the third fall and possibly Mm -hmm. won it. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. And I think we're supposed to be there with Zane. Like he wants to get out, but his strength is draining. And to me, the tap was not like desperation. It was like, I'm done. This is my last chance. I'm, I'm fading out. Yeah, because like Sammy doesn't want to do that. The Sammy Zane character would not want to just tap out to give himself an advantage for a later fall. He wants to win the fall no matter what. But like at a certain point, you just have to know. And I think the weakness of the tap out really speaks to mm-hmm. that. Oh, God, my heart. Whenever I saw him do that, I was like, oh, my God, because he goes red. And I don't know how you make somebody do that. I mean, granted, Sami Zayn is fairly pale, so it doesn't take a lot of blood flow for him to sort of get pink. But he looked bad and that was really intense. Mm hmm. So the ref is talking to Zayn and he's tenderly touching Zayn's arm and asking, like, are you seriously okay? Because you look rough. Like, were Mm -hmm. this not a wrestling match, I would be calling 911. (laughs) Yeah. But Zayn agrees to continue the match. And then the next big thing that happens is that Zayn is on the apron and Cesaro is on the second rope. And Cesaro pulls Zayn up from a position below him to suplex Zayn over his head, sending them both crashing down onto the mat. I, 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 I have no words for whatever you call that kind of strength. The words are Claudio Castagnoli is a ridiculous human being and shouldn't yeah. exist. <laughs> oh. So he goes for the pin, but Zayn kicks out. And I should say, first of all, go watch this match. Go watch this match. Go watch this match. Illegally download this match, but go watch this match. Yeah. Like, if you haven't seen this, like, do not let us spoil this for you anymore. Like, go watch it now. It's worth come back. It's worth watching a million times over regardless. But Zayn is looking so shaky. And Zane keeps getting these bursts of energy just enough to try a move and then go for a pin. Try a move and go for a pin. And we get the high-flying oral sex again, which is always a pleasure to see. It's very happy yep. to see the return of that. But Cesaro rolls out of the ring to regroup and Zane limps after him and gets enough energy to throw himself through the lower ropes around the ring post and straight at Cesaro, wiping them both out. This is a space that's just big enough really for Zane to fit through comfortably without getting stuck. And he just flies through it seamlessly. Yeah. Oh, it was so beautiful. I don't know how he does it. He's also a ridiculous human being. The cool thing about this, too, of course, is that like a move like that is a move that, you know, people who had been watching Sami Zayn as El Generico on the indies had seen him do a million times. Like he's practiced that move. He used to do it a lot. But we all just assumed because of the time that we were talking about that once he got to WWE, that's the kind of shit he wouldn't be allowed to do anymore. So when he pulled that shit out, I was like, oh, my God. That's like when, so he, cool. when he was lining it up, when he was lining it up and Cesaro was stumbling and Zane's like, come on, get up. I was like, oh, shit, he's going to do it. Oh, <laughs> shit. Oh, shit. So oh, good. That's and he so turns cool. it into the DDT on the floor. Oh, Jesus. I didn't know that's what was coming at all. So I was like, oh, my God. He yeah, just did a thing. And that, I think, goes to a little callback to what we did earlier in the match. We were talking about with the chin lock. I think that this is a, such a carefully planned feud because this was the moment to break this move out for Sammy. And if yeah. you look back, since like you guys, you've got this big backlog. So I've been watching along with you from older episodes. And one of the things I noticed on commentary in the very early episodes you guys covered in the show is that William Regal keeps putting over Cesaro's chin lock. He keeps putting over mm-hmm. that move. I do mm. feel that Cesaro having that in his arsenal and putting it over so strong on commentary could be part of building this match in the same way that reserving the corner like slide through DDT was. This is this is the moment to make these moves credible and impactful. It's all been building to this. Zayn drags himself back into the ring and the referee is nearly at 10, but Cesaro dives back in and then Zayn pulls himself together and locks hands with Cesaro, runs up the rope and throws himself at Cesaro, looking to take him down. He's trying to do that tornado DDT. That's his finishing move. Oh, okay. What happens, it said, is that Cesaro catches him mid-move and Cesaro has Zayn balanced on his hip like they're going to dance to some cherry poppin' daddies. (laughs) (laughs) I want to just say that band name has aged even more poorly than I thought it would. (laughs) Now that the internet is experiencing the wonders of the word daddy. Oh, God. (laughs) But 
Cesaro hoists Zane over his head, runs around the ring considering his options, and then hurls Zane up in the air, catching him on the chin on the way down. But that's not enough. He does the neutralizer and then pins Zane for the win. I want to point out. Go for it. Sorry, Bob. He's not running around the ring considering his options. He almost fucking dropped him. Oh, okay. He was supposed to hoist him up, and he almost dropped him. And if and you can see, that motherfucker is just too strong. Cesaro's like, no, this is the finish of the match. I'm not fucking this up. And he, like, gets back under him and, like, is bouncing Sammy on his hands, like, above him God. until he's got a solid base to do the move again. It's unfucking believable And it's actually more impressive because he almost screwed it up because literally anyone else would have. <laughs> Jeez, that's so cool. Oh, I, that is one of my favorite moments in all of wrestling because Cesaro's just like, nope, I am too good <laughs> for this. I am not going to botch this. Oh, it's so good. Ah, sorry. The last thing I'm going to say is that at the end, the very, very end, after the match is all over, the audience is chanting something. Have a beer. <laughs> Eat a, uh, what are they? Ch- is there chanting have a beer? No, I believe what they are chanting when you're hearing there, Bob, is match of year. That makes more sense than have a beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I was like, why would they say that to Cesaro? I bet he doesn't even drink carbs. Thank you for that breakdown, Bob. I would ask you how you feel about this episode, but I'm pretty sure I know. Uh, (laughs) It was real good. It was real good. It was real good. (laughs) Before we move on, we have to ring the bell for some people here. First things first, we're ringing the bell for uh, Michael Zaki and Ron Hicks. You know, uh, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, according to the internet, this was the only televised match of Zaki's NXT career and the only televised match of Hicks' career, period. This is wow. it. He wrestled one match ever on television, as far as I could tell. More importantly, we are ringing the bell in NXT for both AJ Lee and Dolph Ziggler. The careers of these wrestlers are pretty incredibly eventful. When we ring the bell for people, I try to go through uh, wrestlers' careers a little bit, but God, there's a lot with these two. There's no way I can get to everything. I'm just going to give you a few bullet points. And Chris, if you want to jump in, feel free whenever you want to. Lee and Ziggler are actually um, intertwined a little bit as characters. So I'm just going to do this chronologically. Okay. Dolph Ziggler's story begins all the way back in 2004. Chavo Guerrero, who is a famous wrestler in his own right, in addition to being the nephew and longtime tag team partner of wrestling super legend Eddie Guerrero, began a storyline in which he denounced his Latino heritage and changed his name to Kerwin White. Whoa. His catchphrase was, if it ain't white, it ain't right. And he was followed around by his golf caddy, a new wrestler named Nick Nemeth. What the fuck? Yeah, that was a thing that happened. WWE will never admit it. You'll never see it in any history or video package, but it was definitely a thing that happened. I've heard that phrase and I was like, what the fuck is that from? That's so gross. In 2005, Eddie Guerrero tragically passed away. And out of respect, Chavo ditched the Kerwin White character and went back to using the name Guerrero. Nick Nemeth was sent back to Developmental, which at the time, I believe, was Ohio Valley Wrestling. In 2006, he re-debuted under the name Nikki as part of the Spirit Squad, a group of evil male cheerleaders. (laughs) What? So to recontextualize the name Dolph Ziggler for you, Bob, after we made fun of it very early in this podcast, just keep in mind that when he re-re-debuted under that name in 2008, it was a fucking improvement. All right. (laughs) Ziggler turned out to be a very sound, if often very boring wrestler. As you said, Bob, he was fine. He had a decent amount of uh, success in WWE's mid-card, but uh, the most memorable moments of his career were always heavily tied up in who he was dating, including AJ Lee, which he started dating, you know, the character started dating in 2012. You can do better, AJ! (laughs) Now, AJ got her start in the third season of Game Show NXT, which was the all-divas season. Her thing was that she was tiny and adorable and a wrestling nerd, so basically your average wrestling fan's dream girl. That Mm -hmm. is where you are getting the girl-next-door vibes. 
she didn't win the season, but she, I think, came in third. And, of course, they all got hired anyway because NXT wasn't a real reality show. So after NXT, she wrestled for a while on the main roster as a tag team and eventually a rival of season three's winner, Caitlin. But she was quickly transitioned out of a wrestling role for the most part and into the role of a love interest for WWE's most important characters, including CM Punk, Daniel Bryan and John Cena. At the time we're currently watching in the summer of 2013, she was actually with Big E Langston. The pair of them had just split off from Ziggler as Langston had been Ziggler's henchman. AJ's whole thing usually at the time was that she would play men against one another, make them fall for her before betraying them, etc. Which is one reason her submission finisher, which we did not see in this episode, is called the Black Widow. Mm. She also spent a significant amount of time as an authority figure, which alongside her being crazy was important to many of her storylines. Later in 2013, she wins the Divas Championship and begins a run as an actual wrestler. She's actually a very skilled pro wrestler, and she had what was at the time the longest reign that anyone had ever had with the Divas title. And AJ, again, I don't want to go into a lot of this, but she eventually came to represent partially the schism between NXT and WWE, and specifically the reality show Total Divas, because AJ was not on the reality show. She was an NXT product, and she represented a more wrestling-centric, less kind of like looks-oriented idea of women's wrestling. And she had- Less consumable. Yeah, exactly. She ended up taking multiple actions in that regard. She cut a promo on all the Total Divas women one time where she basically told all of them to go fuck themselves in a promo that, you know, was probably scripted, but definitely had some uh, real elements to it. Similar in some ways to the pipe bomb promo that CM Punk cut in 2011. And of course, CM Punk and AJ Lee would eventually end up being real life married. They would also eventually being real life out of the company and out of wrestling because Punk walked out of uh, WWE in 2014. AJ hung around for about another year. Um, She teamed up with Paige at WrestleMania 31, but shortly after that, she was also out of WWE, not before being a really strong advocate for women's wrestling, for women getting more time on television. She was partially behind the hashtag give divas a chance thing that happened in, I believe, 2015. And she um, was very vocal on the Internet about women not getting paid as much and not getting as much respect as they should have. So nowadays, WWE thinks they're super progressive about gender and. And they will credit a lot of people and a lot of events for that. They're never going to credit AJ Lee for it because she doesn't work for them anymore. And they're spiteful that way. But she was really, really one of the strongest advocates for change in women's wrestling coming to WWE. And I love the hell out of her. And also her theme song is great. And she's a great wrestler. So, yay. So we'll move on now to the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. Bob, in this episode, what did your elf eyes see? My elf eyes saw Rick Victor giving Connor O'Brien that little intimate pre-match shoulder rub. <laughs> Draining I the stress it. from his shoulders. <laughs> I just missed it. And I was really glad to see it. So that was delightful. Miles, what did your elf eyes see? All of mine are about the main event, by the way. After Cesaro won that match, the first thing he did was his little fist pumpy taunt. And then he sort of like remembered, oh, yeah, the we the people thing also. Like, (laughs) I should do that, too. (laughs) I I kind of appreciated that, even though the we the people thing is, you know, we know how we feel about that one. Yeah. Chris, how about you? Anything uh, visual that you noted from this episode of NXT? Uh, in the first match, if you look at Bailey's face, what I noticed most was Bailey visibly notices things and has joy in them during her matches. And that is one of the things I love about Bailey. It, it enriched that match so much. Like with the hug spot where she like grabs her and you know drives her into the turnbuckle. Like she's looking to the crowd. She's like, oh, hey, this is happening. I can do this instead of just doing the moves. Yeah. Uh, And I thought those details were great. I watched this episode, you know, twice to prepare for the show. And it held up the second time because Bailey is just like shining a beacon of joy out to the viewer at all times. Yeah, that was really cool stuff. I enjoyed that she visibly does reactions to everything. Mm -hmm. All right, Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? My Vulcan ears heard CJ Parker say, chillax, hot boy, to Tyler (laughs) Dreams. And, and did you see Renee's face when he said it? <laughs> no, I oh, didn't. She, she cracked up. She couldn't keep a straight face. Oh, 
God, I have to go back and watch that part. But I swear for one quarter of a second, it mollifies Tyler Breeze. He appreciates, you know, it's like, as well, you should call me that. <laughs> All right, Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? You know, it's funny. I have watched this match so many times. The two out of three falls match. I mean, of course, um, <laughs> so many times I've watched that match. And it wasn't until we started doing this podcast and now I watch the match again that I'm like, oh, fuck. Regal's not on this one. Mm. Really? Know, right. What the fuck? Like, I could have sworn. And like, Riley is fine, but he won't fucking shut up about his feud with The Miz, <laughs> which was literally the only thing he ever did. He was kind of pissing me off. And like, much like Cesaro not letting Zayn fall, I would not let the Riley commentary ruin my <laughs> enjoyment of rewatching this match. But man, I remember just being like, oh, it's not it's not Regal. Oh, it did shit. feel weird that it wasn't Regal. I know you felt like it should have been. Chris, what did your Vulcaneers hear? I'm also going to Parker. I'm going to go to the apocalyptic silence of the crowd when CJ Parker came out. Like, (laughs) (laughs) just like, it's bizarre. It's like they're cutting out the audio almost. And then you can hear later in the post-match exchange with Breeze. It's so bizarre to see like someone that the audience does not give one iota of a shit about versus a heel that they are booing. Because it's like, it's not yay, boo, yay, boo. It's like, silence, boo, silence, boo. (laughs) It was so weird. And I was just cringing every time Parker would do something. And like, not just something, but like something. Like he was all in on that character to no reaction. I was was horrified on his behalf. (laughs) All right, Bob, what did your human heart feel? Deep worry for Zayn because he looked Mm. genuinely bad after the tap out like he might pass out or throw up or both. And then I was so sad that he lost because he suffered enormously to try and get that win. And I wanted him to get that win so badly and it didn't happen. Yeah. (sighs) All right. Miles, what did your human heart feel? Just that match. I mean, I this the is the thing. match that put NXT on the map. This is the one that did it. After this match happened, there was the buzz on the internet where it's like, holy shit, you see fucking NXT last night? Because, like, you gotta go watch that one, man. So this is the match that really got the ball rolling on that, and I will love it forever for many reasons, but primarily for that one. That's so cool. And I just love the way the the storytelling, the feud is so oh. fucking strong, and, like, Zayn comes over the top at the beginning because he's so mad they can't, like, they really sell the fact that this feud can't be contained, which is what, what has been yeah. happening on the shows, and, like, fucking Cesaro, like, with that wicked chokehold, like, really leaning into it because he just hates him so much, and all the callbacks and all the story storytelling it's just i can't i love the moment because like zane gets the first fall and then like keeps hammering at him and there's a moment where cesaro finally like throws him into the turnbuckle and stops him for a second and he's like stops and like adjusts his jaw and he's like oh god that was that was a real flurry uh okay time to kill you now (laughs) (laughs) i just love this match so much all right chris what did your human heart feel I'm also going to the main event for this. I don't know how much I can distinguish it from what you said, Miles, but there's so much to say there. And I think that that opening portion, especially, I sometimes listen to Mike Quackenbush's YouTube series that he's doing now, um, Till We Make It, which is about all kinds of different things related to wrestling. It's really intended for wrestlers. But one of the things he's talked about in one of the episodes of that is about like the tension of a match and like the mistake. You don't want to walk away from someone in a match because you always want that tension to be there that like something could happen, you know, so you have to rely on the referee to like make you make distance with your opponent. You always want to seem to be pressing that sense of tension, that sense of like this Jenga tower could topple at any moment is so hard to build. And like to me, that emotional investment and that like ability to make the viewer sit on the edge of their seat for something they know is predetermined is such a hard trick. And Cesaro and Sammy are both so good at it getting the tone exactly right of like this brilliant shine. Sammy comes out so hot. You feel so good for him and you're enjoying the moves. You're enjoying the action and the movement, but it feels like borrowed time. So it feels suspenseful at the same time because you know from everything he's doing, the only way I win this match is if I get him while he's off balance. If Cesaro ever gets his footing, then we're back to this grinding thing and this kind of the death of Sami Zayn is what it feels like. And the ability to build that, the ability to build excitement, it make the audience cheer, but at the same time, feel a little on edge and you're watching for like the dam to break. That is such a hard tone to hit in like a novel or a short story. To hit it in a wrestling match is like, it blows my mind. Next level. 
those were the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. And uh, it is about time for us to finish this episode off with the cheap pop quiz. All right. Question number one. Next episode, we begin a new set of tapings, which means the crowd is hot at full sale. Which character is suddenly, inexplicably being cheered instead of booed? Is it A, Summer Rae? B, Enzo Amore? C, Sylvester LaFort? D, Bo Dallas? Or E, none of the above? Bo Dallas. Bo Dallas. Because that would blow my fucking mind. <laughs> Chris, do you know the answer to this question? I do not know the answer to this. It's a little before my time still. I'm going to say none of the above. Fair enough. Fair enough. Gentleman's answer. <laughs> question number two. We honestly haven't seen a whole lot of cheating so far in NXT, but on the next episode, we finally get to meet a very old standard of a wrestling trope. The foreign object. Oh. Hello again, old friend. <laughs> What object does a wrestler use behind the referee's back on the next episode to win their match? Is it A, a shoe, B, a fork, C, an iPhone, D, a can of hairspray, or E, a steel chair? Fork. Fork. I mean, right. iPhone makes more sense, but Tyler Breeze would never risk his iPhone. That's a good point. Chris? I'll say the the iPhone. I think Tyler Breeze is going to risk his precious, precious technology. Narratively, it makes sense. Character-wise, it doesn't. I don't know which way NXT is going to come down. If you want to change it, just let me know. Right now, I have you down for be a fork. No, fine. I'll put down iPhone. It makes more sense. I just don't know whether it makes enough <sighs> I, sense, but it makes more sense than fork. I feel like I'm influencing right. you now. I'm changing the course of events. Uh, I shouldn't fine. be here. It's fine. It doesn't matter. <laughs> It doesn't matter. We don't fuck with that shit. I was going to say, Chris, this podcast is remarkably unimportant. (laughs) (laughs) Question number three. Uh, So quick peek behind the curtain. I use the pro wrestling fandom page a lot in order to keep things straight in my brain when we're doing this podcast. One interesting thing about the entry for the next episode is that it mentions a dark match, which is a match that the live audience got to see but didn't make television. The match in this case features Danny Burch, a.k.a. the British guy that Tyler Breeze spin kicked to death three episodes ago, and a man we haven't seen quite yet named Mojo Raleigh. What is his catchphrase? Is it A? Damn! B. Hello, ladies. Ah! C. Woo, woo, woo. You know it. D. I don't get hype. I stay hype. Or E. I spit in the face of people who don't want to be cool. These are all real, by the way. <laughs> in case you were wondering. Uh. Woo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> C. Woo, 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 you know it. And Chris, I know you know the answer to this one, so I'm... Of course I do, yes. I'm not going to ask you that one. (laughs) So come back in two weeks for the answers to that edition of the Cheap Pop Quiz. Thank you so much, Chris Newton, for uh, coming on the show with us today. Yeah! And uh, if you want to uh, give us a quick plug and let us know where we can find your stuff online. Uh, Sure. My podcast that is going right now uh, daily is Mega Dumb Cast, where I discuss every page of a different Palladium RPG every day. And I discuss the dumbest thing on each of those pages. I am at Mega Dumb Cast on Twitter. And um, you can look up Mega Dumb Cast wherever podcasts are found and find it. Well, thank you so much, Chris. It was a pleasure to have you on. Likewise, this was so much fun. And I want to say... Even if you're not sure if you're going to be a person who's like, I want to hear a dumb thing about a role playing quick. Chris is so goddamn brilliant and funny. It's just like having a friend bullshit in your ear for 25 minutes. And you're like, this is delightful. We should talk more often, friend. It's yeah, great. Listen to Mega Dumbcast, guys. It's amazing. Oh, Megan, Bob, thank you so much. I Scientifically, like if my show is not too negative for you, then I feel like anyone should because i was sure you wouldn't like mega dumb cast but um this is wonderful thank you well i think that's all we got for this episode of the next wrestling fan thank you so much as always for joining me for another one of these crazy things that we're doing (laughs) thank you it's always fun Uh, i believe uh, we have someone to shout out from last episode that we wanted to give credit to we mentioned their work Yes, J.H. Roberts is the scholar whose work we quoted in the previous one about Don't Call Me White, the Sami Zayn fashion article. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to give credit to them. And they are on Twitter if you wish to follow them. And they are also followed by the Professional Wrestling Studies Association, who are the people who do scholarly work on pro wrestling. And it's really cool. So J.H. underscore Roberts, if you wish to follow more cool stuff from this awesome scholar. 
And I uh, also got to thank uh, a couple of new reviewers that we have. Uh, yeah, I believe do. I believe Fell Lord uh, is one of the new reviewers, which I've been trying to get a review from Fell Lord. Like I've been trying to get Fell Lord to look at my shit for a while now. For, I don't know about you, Bob, <laughs> but like yeah, I've heard some real good things about you know their their. Um I don't know what Fell Lord's up to. A hell but, you of a know. reputation. I, we can't get into it now because it's you know this is a family podcast, but um, <laughs> this is not a family podcast. <laughs> no, it's in not. Case anyone was podcast. wondering. And uh, thank you also to Krista Contino Zombie for uh, her review, and uh, yeah, she is wonderful so as always. Yeah, and we got something extraordinary, just extraordinary from Sanadine. Although I will say it could also be pronounced Sanadine. I'm not quite sure. But on AO3, you have the ability to gift fanfics to somebody else. And so in my inbox, I received this gift fanfic from Sanadine called Lucky Tiger. And it is about Bodalis. And it did the incredible and made me like Bodalis. It is a very short fanfic. It is 832 words. Uh, Miles and I are going to do a recording of it at some point. Yeah, it is a recontextualization of Bodalis that just works for me in many ways. Right? It (laughs) changed my life. It's beautifully (laughs) written in multiple levels. The summary just says miracles poured forth from Bode like hot tar from a wounded mouth. (laughs) And the notes just say for Megan Bagels or how I learned to stop worrying and love Bo Dallas. And let me tell you, it does that. It's quite extraordinary in ways that I can barely articulate to you. But we will be sharing that and also doing what on AO3 is called a podfic where we record it and make it available both on AO3 and also on our feed as a short piece of uh, recorded audio. It's just so good and it makes us so happy. And it was such a sweet gesture by Sanadine that, um, and, you know, Bob and I have an existing interest in, you know, audio dramas and stuff like that. So um, we've decided that we're going to make this happen. So keep an ear out for that sometime in the future. Yes. And while you're keeping an ear out, please make sure that you did not miss the bonus episode that we recorded courtesy of Cat the Pope. And it is our episode about the Great British Bake Off. It's pretty tremendous. I had a lot of fun recording it. Maybe not quite as much fun as the Duchess Deal episode, (laughs) but close, close, guys. It was a lot of fun. And I think you'll have fun listening to it, too. Oh, absolutely. We definitely get into some weird baking weeds. And um, yeah, we have an interesting time. Thank you all so much once again for being fans, for listening to our show, for talking to us on social media. We really appreciate all you guys uh, listening in and joining us on this journey and being part of the show and part of our lives. So thank you so much. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And we are grateful to have you. And we will see you in two weeks with a new episode. Bye. The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. Visit our website at nxtwrestlingfan.com for show notes, episode transcripts, and more. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. What if Ariel had black hair and supported apartheid? I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that Kruger actually did support apartheid, so I shouldn't oh, say he's that. A, yeah, it's hard to say because he's fairly young. Yeah, I he was probably thought. didn't even know the fuck it was. Moving on. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> My second thought after that was like, is it like crab leg season at Red Lobster yet? Even though I don't eat at Red Lobster, but I guess I'm thinking about lobster now. <laughs> This is just a separate thought I had. <laughs> okay. We'll put that in the addendum so, episode, too. That's... <laughs>
pressing questions. I don't even like crabs. Bomb. It's not that great. 